You're listening to an Electrical Industries Charity podcast. Hi, I'm Elena Leary, a Welfare Support Officer from the Electrical Industries Charity. This Mental Health Month, the Electrical Industries Charity want to start the conversation and get our industry talking about mental health and what it means to us. While people are becoming more open in their discussion about mental health, we're still not quite there. We're used to telling everyone we're all right, And for a lot of us, we may feel anxious about asking colleagues, friends, or even family how they really are. This month, we want to encourage everyone to take 10 together, an idea which was originally launched by Mental Health First Aid England in 2016. Take 10 together is essentially encouraging all of us to have a meaningful conversation with someone about their mental health. To kickstart the Take 10 Together conversation, the EIC wanted to invite an expert in the field to discuss why taking 10 is so important. Hopefully, we'll shed some light on how easy it is to have a meaningful conversation as we return to work and what sort of things we should be asking. Joining me is Helen Ramage and Jenny Whitehead. Helen Ramage works for the Electrical Industries Charity and writes the Mental Health Calendar, and Jenny Whitehead is a therapist who works closely with the charity. Firstly, I wanted to talk about the impact of the pandemic on our mental health. It might seem a silly question because clearly we have all been impacted, but what has been your experience as a therapist during the pandemic, Jenny? Well, let's start with the positives. I've certainly seen some families really benefiting from extra family time, which they wouldn't have had when they were uh, busy and away and working away from home or abroad for weeks at a time. Um, I've seen people enjoy a different pace of life. So some people have managed to have a bit more downtime or improve their own fitness. Um, and for some people, it's been it's been positive to be homeschooling and getting to know their children and uh, enjoying that that bond that they've had with their children through through doing their homework at home. Say I've seen people with perhaps underlying mild anxiety or depression. That has then through the pandemic and through the the social isolation it's really moved up a notch or two notches or sometimes even even more than that people with um who've been furloughed have perhaps lost their routine and their structure and uh, that can be really hard for people when they're trying to keep on top of uh, of mental health issues whether it's ocd or or anything like that uh, sometimes it's it's very difficult to suddenly not have a reason to get up in the morning if you're feeling depressed because you don't actually have to get up and turn up at work for a certain time. Um, I think too, generally, you know, we've we've had to remove a lot of things that we enjoy, a lot of things that feed our happiness. And uh, so not being able to socialise, not being able to do all the hobbies and activities that we normally do, I think that's been quite detrimental for a lot of people. Um, and then obviously there's the whole category of, of uh, those who are in difficult relationships and when the front door is closed, then things can hugely escalate. Um, if you're you're in a slightly toxic relationship or if you're in a, a caring role, then there's never a chance for you to get away from that caring role. Um, so yes, it's, there, there have been a lot of negatives as well as a few yeah, positives. I think- I think it's I think it's very much whether for some people the outside world is their respite and refuge and for other people their home is their respite and refuge and this this pandemic period has made us really reassess the balance of it and which ones are more important to us. I think from a from I mean we've always been open as such to the charity so we I haven't experienced furlough and but what I have experienced is working from home since Oh, I don't know, Milena, when was it? March, March 2020, yeah. the beginning of March 2020. I I mean, 
we've all worked from home. We haven't had consistent time in the office at all. I've maybe got in sort of one day sporadically here and there. Um, so for me, it's definitely been my life's completely changed upside down. And, and although I don't, I don't see for me lockdown being a positive experience because I haven't enjoyed it at all. I've really missed socialising. I've really missed having that face-to-face interaction. I've missed being squashed on the tube. Strangely enough, I've just missed having people around me. But I can definitely also see the positive sides. I think a lot of people have taken the like opportunity, as Jenny says, to work out more. And, you know, a lot of people have saved a lot of money. I mean, me personally, I've saved so much money where I haven't been going out. And so there are definitely positive sides. And I think a lot of people who are coming to the charity at the moment that we've seen who are coming for support or needing to be pointed in the right direction, they're coming to come see us because they have a sense of anxiousness about returning to work so it's not that they are struggling so much with current lockdown measures or current you know restrictions because obviously they're starting to ease it's the it's the thought of getting back out there on a wider scale that I mean we do mass events and all that type of thing and I think people are a lot of people are anxious and a lot of people I mean dread is a strong word but a couple of people have even said that they're dreading returning back to the office and socializing because it has been so difficult over the last year to to socialize so I suppose you become used to not doing it yeah absolutely it's the interest in the point that you raised about you know wanted to go out and socialize and, and that being a struggle of yours because we talk about this in our mental health awareness training about the fact that lockdown has been a very unique experience for everybody and comparing you know how introverts have dealt with lockdown compared to extroverts those people that need to be out and about communicating face to face bouncing off other people to get their energy you know and their creativity um it's interesting to see how two very different ends of the spectrum have dealt with lockdown yeah, no, definitely. I think personally, on me, myself, I'm more on the extroverted side. So I think that's why I've struggled more. But I have got, we know a lot of people who come to the charity for support, who've really excelled in this lockdown, especially if they've had out, outward pressures, which have formed them to have, or caused them to have bad mental health in the past, they've now really flourished over this yeah. period of just being able to focus on themselves. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. I've seen that. so it has been a really difficult period for those who have been furloughed Uh, although again you know that again has been a unique experience so I think some people have actually really as we said excelled during that time and others who have worked throughout um, now more than ever it's been important to really check in with colleagues friends and family so this take 10 together is coming in at just the right time so as we head out of lockdown, do you have any anxieties about returning to normalcy or are you excited to get out there? We've heard from some industry colleagues there is a huge fear about returning to work and going out on the road. What do you think, Helen? I think, I mean, personally, we see it in our social media platforms every other day. We'll get a message about people who are having to go back out on the road, who are having to go back into offices or having to do face-to-face meetings or, you know, getting close proximity to others. And we ask, we get a lot of calls for support through our channels from people in the industry for that. But I think on, on the other hand, the other side being part of the fundraising team and um, you speak to a lot of people on a daily basis who are so excited to get back out and shake people's hands and go to events and have a round of golf and support the charity in those ways. So it really is two two sides of the coin. You do see it from both from both different angles, really. And Jenny, what issues do you think may arise from people returning to a more conventional way of working? Well, <clears throat> I've certainly seen um 
people fearing their own lack of confidence and the fact that they've been off work or off work as they knew it um, for such a long time, they feel a bit de-skilled. Um, so yeah. their confidence then then goes goes down. I think it's also good to bear in mind that, that a lot of people will be returning to work with some grief behind them, whether they've lost um, mm. friends or grandparents or parents. Um, so there will be that grief that they're going back um, with that burden um, that they maybe didn't have when they last saw all their work colleagues as well. Mm. I think too, it's it's there's there's the fear of running back to that rat race and and getting caught up in in the the next um, work challenge. And um, people have maybe got used to that different pace that I mentioned earlier, and now they're thinking, yeah. oh gosh, I've now got to work. 24-7 and, and keep up with everybody else. So I think it's very important that people remember that they don't have to go back to that rat race and that they can try and work ways around managing their, their time at work. I think a lot of offices now and a lot of management will be looking to more of a flexi working, you know, maybe doing part time at home, part time in an office space somewhere. And I think for a lot of people, that will be the desired way to work going forward. Yes. And I, I think it's also maybe relevant to, to note here that we can sometimes give our line managers a hard time for worrying that their expectations are too high. But what often unravels in the counselling room is that it's actually ourselves that put ourselves under the pressure to go the extra mile to, to do the extra people pleasing or to impress the boss by working a bit harder or a bit longer. And I think we all as a nation need to really challenge that attitude and look after ourselves and get back to the extra exercising or extra whatever we were doing that that we can learn from the time we had during the pandemic. Okay, so there's an awful lot of stigma surrounding mental health. And sometimes people feel for that reason, they don't want to open up because they're afraid of judgment. They're not sure who to speak to. But obviously, you know, if you're in that in that crisis point, and you need somebody to speak to, there are always people out there. The difficulty is that sometimes people aren't quite ready to reach out for that support. Sometimes they might have a mild to moderate mental health issue and maybe that can be resolved or, or supported just by friends and family. So it's important always to firstly speak to friends or family or maybe even your colleagues just to see if they can help you first. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's really important to understand that these kind of conversations don't have to happen behind closed doors. The whole the whole point is is that these are open conversations. You don't have to book a meeting in to speak to someone. You don't have to say, Oh, look like can I chat to you? Have you got an hour of your time? These are literally short ten minute conversations that you can have to just ensure that everyone is doing the best that they can and if they're not doing the best that they can or if, and if they're really in a bad place there are lots of different support avenues that people can go to and um, I know Jenny you were talking about the Samaritans and they sort of help to dispel this feeling that you're alone. Absolutely and and it's important for you if you are the person who's initiating the conversation and you do feel there's something that's not quite right with the person you're talking to then you know, patience is very helpful. Sometimes people not only need to be asked twice, but they also need to be asked next week, are, are you doing okay? And uh, it's important for you to know what to do if they tell you that they're not okay. And of course, you then have to make decisions as to whether this is an emergency situation or a, uh, a gradual process of, of getting them ready for the process of counselling or asking for help or going to see their GP or, or whatever is appropriate at the time. 
I think also important to remember that, you know, you need to have that initial rapport with that person to enable them to feel that they can open up to you in the first place. So even if you just have that 10 minute conversation, but it's not surrounding mental health necessarily, it could be talking about the results of the football at the weekend or how was golf or, you know, how's your daughter getting on at her new school? Just building up that rapport with that person creates that bond for them to then open up to you if they do have something more serious they need to talk about. And that's what I think where we're in this period of non-normality during the pandemic, you, you sort of, especially if you live alone or you're not seeing your work colleagues as much, you're not seeing your friends, you're not seeing your family, you're not going to football, you're not going to the pub, you're not, you're not doing all those things that you were so used to doing. It, you may feel so out of touch with those people who you feel did you used to care about you and you may feel they don't care anymore. So that sort of step of building up the rapport and starting to get to know each other again is, is really important to make those inroads to having the more meaningful conversations. Absolutely. Building those relationships is crucial. So many things, anxiety, depression, all these things can be rooted in the feeling that you're absolutely alone. Nobody cares. Nobody knows what's going on inside your head. And by just having these conversations and um, developing these friendships, you can dispel that myth that they are completely uh, on their own. I think Take 10 Together is a good initiative as well to get get those 10 minute conversations going but also to provide people who may feel as if they don't have support with those support networks that they need and uh, I mean it's it's not hard to be a shoulder to lean on for 10 minutes and I feel as if a lot of the time when you say to someone are you all right and then they turn around to you and say no actually I'm not for some people it may feel as if your world stopped turning you're like oh gosh I what's the reason you're not all right oh, I wasn't prepared for you to turn around and be honest and I think we need to dispel that a little bit and sort of prepare ourselves for people to say the truth because you know life has been un- understandably hard and difficult and as we as we return back to what was life before it is going to be hard and difficult and I think for some people they are going to want to say when a mate or a colleague or a family member turns around and says you're okay they are going to want to say no I'm not actually but I think well you know it's like British people don't know they say like oh stiff up a lip and all this type and I think it's sometimes it's okay to let you let your lip wobble a little bit <laughs> it's okay Definitely. to not be okay Exactly. I mean, we had it. We had a statistic a while ago when we collected all the data in, and only sixteen percent of employees within the industry would tell their manager that they're struggling with their mental health. So we try and encourage managers to think about, well, what is it that you could do to change that? You know, how can we get people to open up? What can you do to that environment to create a better environment that allows people to open up? What would you say some of those practical tips are, Melania and Jenny, coming from sort of like a more expert standpoint in the field? What would you say to people who are trying to have those open conversations? Obviously, we've just spoken about being empathetic, but what could an employer do or colleagues do to ensure their other colleagues or employees' well-being in the workplace? I would say, firstly, to enable that environment, you know, to make it an environment which facilitates a discussion. So having a, a couple of comfortable chairs somewhere with a little coffee table, maybe some tissues nearby if needed um, in a <laughs> desk drawer or something to, to make it okay for that person to, to feel that they can 
show their emotion without the desk breaking up that conversation. Having a desk between the two of you sometimes can feel like a real barrier. So if if the desk can't be moved, maybe sit around the end of the table, making sure that person feels that they're in a safe space. So not a room where there's windows all the way down the side where you're going to have to put the blinds down or a door where there's a big glass panel in it so that if they do get upset, other people are going to see them. I think it's all about making sure that, yeah, that environment is suitable for that discussion where your phone's not going off and you're not having to check your emails every two minutes because it keeps pinging. Yeah, yeah, that's all That's all very relevant and, and really good advice. It's again, it's about normalising these conversations. You know, if there isn't an opportunity to sit down in a specific place for a specific amount of time, you know, at the coffee machine, can you, can you ask a little bit deeper, how are you? Or um, as you're waiting in the canteen or, or wherever at, at lunchtime it's about normalizing these slightly deeper conversations in order to check in on your on your peers and your colleagues yeah and definitely I mean earlier we mentioned and um, just before we started recording this earlier we were talking about you don't have to be a licensed counselor to be a shoulder of support and I think I think people need to remember that although they may not consider themselves qualified you you don't have to be qualified to be a support network to someone and that's that's the most important thing to bear in mind as you as you go back into the real world and you're chatting more and you're meeting up with your your friends your family and your colleagues and you might be going to offices you know you don't have a degree obviously it helps to have a phd in uh, psychology but you don't have to have a degree to help help someone through a difficult time or just ask the question are you sure you're okay and taking the the right time to do that. So not just before somebody's about to do a massive presentation, do you want to ask them how they're feeling about the death of their mother? So it's it's about it's it you need to choose your times carefully when when you're going to have that as well. Uh, just be being sensitive. It really is simple to just have that chat with each other. It's important to remember these little tips to help you to get those conversations started. Uh, keeping the chat positive and supportive. A good tip if you're concerned about someone is to ask if they're okay twice as well. Keeping that body language open, no folded arms and asking twice. Because if you ask the first time, you know, in the UK, it's a bit of a greeting, isn't it? To say, oh, hi, you're right. But actually really mean it when you ask somebody. Uh, Be empathetic, take their concerns seriously, choose the right setting. Avoiding phrases like don't worry or cheer up because that's not going to be helpful. And don't try and solve their problems because actually some problems can't be solved that easily and sometimes people just want a listening ear. Remember helping each other doesn't stop at one conversation. Follow up with them, find support resources to help them. It may be HR, it may be an employee assistance programme or outside help. You may also want to encourage them to reach out to their GP or get support from their family and friends. And of course you can refer them to the Electrical Industries Charity. Thank you so much to Jenny and Helen for joining me and thank you to you too for listening. If you or somebody else working in the electrical or energy industries is in need of support, or you wish to donate to the Electrical Industries Charity, please get in touch via email at support at electricalcharity.org or you can call 0800 652 1618.